Well, good morning, everybody, and uh, happy Easter. Happy Easter. Yes, happy Easter. That, that is the normal way that we greet one another at Easter time, isn't it? By saying happy Easter. Let's try it again. Ready? Happy Easter. Happy Easter. Easter. Yes, and let's face it, uh, Easter is a very happy time of year, isn't it? It's a very happy time of year. Unlike uh, Christmas, I'm not aware of anybody who doesn't like Easter. I mean, school kids love Easter. They get a couple of weeks off school. School teachers certainly love Easter. They get a couple of weeks off the kids. Even rabbits love Easter. I mean, it's the only time of the year where they're not considered feral pests, after all. Then there's the Royal Easter Show with all of the rides and the show bags and the fairy floss and the Ferris wheels and the Holden Precision driving team. It's all good stuff. And then there's the Easter bonnet parades. They don't seem uh, as popular as they once did, do they? But they still happen. I know my niece went to one the other day. It's all good fun. Then there's the Easter eggs. Yes, the Easter eggs. And then there's the hot cross buns, my favourite. Hot cross buns, toasted, with a bit of melted butter on them. Mmm, hot cross buns. Easter is a time of relaxing and fun and merriment and feasting. For just about everyone, Easter is a really happy time. But at the risk of sounding a little bit like the Ebenezer Scrooge of Easter, my question to you this morning is, should it be? Should it be a happy time? Should we consider Easter to be a happy time? Should it be relaxing and fun and a time of merriment and feasting? Because you know what? I'm not so sure it should be. What I want us to do this morning is to go back to the Bible and look there, learn again what Easter is all about. I want us to consider this morning four facts about Easter. And after we've considered these four facts, I want you to consider for yourself whether or not you should have a happy Easter. Okay, is that clear? You know where we're headed this morning? You know what what we're trying to achieve? All right then, would you please take out that uh, piece of paper, the service sheet that you received on the way in? And inside, you'll see there an outline to the talk. That'll help you follow along. There in the top left-hand corner, you will see a printout of the Bible passage that we're going to be looking at this morning. We had that read for us earlier. We're going to be concentrating on that Bible passage this morning, Acts chapter 10, verses 39 to 43. Now, the words in this Bible passage are actually the words of a man who was there on that very first Easter. They're the words of a man named Peter, a friend and a disciple of Jesus. In fact, Peter was one of Jesus' closest friends. He walked with him for three years and he talked with him and uh, he got to hear Jesus teach. And by the end of those three years, he got to know him very, very well. Peter was there on that very first Good Friday Peter saw with his own eyes the authorities come and drag Jesus off. He saw with his own eyes them nail Jesus to the cross. He saw with his own eyes Jesus die. And that's Easter fact number one for us this morning. Jesus died. Look with me at what Peter tells us in this Bible passage. Look with me at the very first verse, verse 39. Peter says, We are witnesses of everything he, Jesus, did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him 
by hanging him on a tree on the cross. There you go, the first of our Easter facts this morning, Jesus died. And I mean he really died, he truly died. He was alive, but then he was dead. According to my dictionary at home, death is defined as an end of life, the total cessation of all the vital functions of an organism. Well, that's what happened to Jesus. His heart stopped pumping, his lungs stopped working, the electrical impulses in his brain stopped firing. He was dead. Easter fact number one, Jesus died. Okay, Easter fact number two. The second fact for us to consider this morning is that Jesus didn't stay dead. Jesus didn't stay dead. Peter goes on to tell us that God raised Jesus back to life. How does Peter know this? Well, again, he says that he saw it with his own eyes. He was a witness of this fact too. He says that three days after Jesus died, on that very first Easter Sunday, Peter says that he saw Jesus alive again. And he says that he saw him doing the sorts of things that only live people can do, like eating and drinking. Look with me again uh, from verse 39. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. There you go. Easter fact number two. God raised Jesus back to life. Peter reckons that he was chosen by God to see this with his own eyes. And elsewhere in the Bible, we learn that Peter was, in fact, one of about 500 people that saw Jesus alive again. There were a lot of witnesses. But don't get the idea that what Peter saw was some kind of spiritual or, or ghostly apparition of Jesus. No, the Jesus that Peter saw was able to eat and drink with him. Like we heard in that uh, first Bible reading this morning. Can you remember? Jesus appeared to the disciples. They were able to, to touch him. And they watched as he picked up a piece of broiled fish and ate it. And it wasn't a ghost that Peter saw. It was a real flesh and blood Jesus. Ghosts don't eat broiled fish. They don't have the stomach for it, apparently. But Jesus did, literally. He had the stomach for it. Now he had been raised back to life. Now his heart was beating again. Now his lungs were working again. Now the electrical impulses in his brain were firing again. And now there was food digesting in his stomach. He was as alive as you or me. Easter fact number two, God raised Jesus back to life. Which brings us to Easter fact number three. God has made Jesus the judge of all people. Read with me verse 42, verse 42, where Peter says, He, Jesus, commanded us to preach to the people 
and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. You see, when Jesus came back from the dead, what message did he have for people? What was his message? Well, his message was that God had now designated him to be the judge of all people. You see, the Bible tells us that one day, God will call an end to history as we know it. And that on that day, the lives of all people throughout history, both living and dead, all people, will, their lives will be examined. And I mean all people. Princes and paupers and murderers and mothers and celebrities and unknowns. The Bible says that on that day, every person who has ever lived will be judged. Those who have always lived according to God's laws, well, they will be found not guilty and they will be richly rewarded in heaven. But those who have broken God's laws, those who have sinned against him, well, they will be declared guilty and they will find their punishment in hell forever. When Jesus came back from the dead, he claimed to be the one who would now act as God's judge on that final day. He claimed to be the one who would now determine the eternal destinies of all people. It is a big claim, isn't it? It is a massive claim. You know, if Jesus had claimed to be the judge of the world before he died then died, then stayed dead? Well, I think that we could easily dismiss this claim as the claim of a megalomaniac or, 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 or a ratbag, a madman. But the truth is, Jesus backed up this claim by rising from the dead. And so it is true. Jesus will judge all people. And that is a most dreadful thought indeed. Can you imagine the scene on that final day as Jesus examines the lives of each and every individual to see if they have broken one of God's laws? Sir, I see here that in your lifetime you have lied. You have broken God's law. You have rebelled against the living God. I declare you guilty. Madam, I see here that in your lifetime you have gossiped. You have broken God's law. You have rebelled against the living God. I declare you guilty. And so will be the verdict for everyone who has ever broken God's laws. Anyone who has ever cheated or lusted or hated or failed to help someone in need. Anyone who has ever disobeyed their parents or been drunk or been jealous of others. On that final day, Jesus will declare them all guilty. What a dreadful thought. What makes that thought even worse is the fact that the Bible says that all people have sinned. That all people have broken God's laws. And that on that final day, Jesus will judge all people accordingly. 
It is a dreadful thought. But it is Easter fact number three. God has made Jesus the judge of all people. Which brings us to Easter fact number four. Our final fact, in fact, if you know what I mean. Easter fact number four. The forgiveness of sins can be found in Jesus. The forgiveness of sins can be found in Jesus. You see, Peter knew Jesus for three years. He walked with him, he talked with him, he heard him teach, he saw him die, he saw him raise back to life again. And it was from that point onwards that Peter began to testify about Jesus, testifying to anybody who would, who would listen to him about Jesus. But Peter wasn't the first to testify about Jesus. In fact, people were testifying about Jesus many hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. These people we call prophets, people who speak messages on behalf of God. And what was the message of these prophets? Well, their message was that the forgiveness of sins could be found in Jesus. Read with me what Peter says in verse 43. Verse 43, where Peter says, All the prophets testify about him, Jesus, that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Peter points out that throughout the centuries... God's prophets had testified about Jesus, testifying that anyone who broke God's laws could find forgiveness in Jesus. Let me give you an example of the kind of prophet that Peter has in mind here. The the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived about 800 years before Jesus was even born. And listen to how he testified about Jesus. I've written out part of Isaiah's testimony there in, your, in the uh, talk outline. It comes from Isaiah chapter 53, verses 4 and 5. Where concerning, uh, where concerning Jesus, Isaiah said, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. Now listen to this. But he was pierced for our transgressions, our wrongdoings. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. You see, 500 years before Jesus' death on the cross, the prophet Isaiah testified that that death of Jesus would be the means by which people could be forgiven of their sins. That it would be the means by which people could go from being declared guilty to being declared not guilty. That it it would be the means by which people facing punishment in hell forever could go from that to facing all the riches of life with God in heaven forever. That's what the prophets testified about Jesus. You see, friends, Jesus' death is like the death of no other person. When Jesus died upon the cross, what he did is he brought forward that final judgment day for himself. And although he had never rebelled against the living God, although he had never broken even a single law of God's, 
even though he was truly not guilty, what he did as he died upon the cross is he took upon himself the sins of all people. He was declared guilty and he faced the punishment that was due in a way that I don't think that we will ever be able to fully understand. When Jesus died on the cross, he faced an eternity of hell for all sinners. He was, as the prophet Isaiah put it, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Jesus made it possible for sinners to be forgiven. It's wonderful news, isn't it? Wonderful. Does it mean that all sinners are forgiven? Well, no. Look with me again at what Peter had to say in verse 43 of our Bible passage. Peter said, All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. It's only those who believe in him, those who believe in Jesus, who can be forgiven of their sins. What does it mean to believe in Jesus? Well, I think that's just a shorthand way of saying that those who call upon Jesus, those who call upon him and ask him for forgiveness, all those who trust that through his death, forgiveness is truly possible, to these the forgiveness of sins will be granted and that verdict of guilty will be exchanged for one of not guilty. Can you imagine the scene for these people on that final day? Sir, madam, I see that in your life you lied, gossiped. You have broken God's laws. You have rebelled against the living God. And yet I see also that in your lifetime you called upon me for the forgiveness of your sins. I declare you not guilty, for I have already faced your punishment at the cross. What a wonderful, wonderful thought that is. Easter fact number four, the forgiveness of sins can be found in Jesus. And so there we have our four facts of Easter. We have the four facts, and I think now that we have all the information that we need to come back to our initial question of whether or not Easter should be a happy time, of whether Easter should be a time of relaxing and fun and merriment and feasting. So what is the answer? Well, the answer is, of course, it depends it depends on whether or not people have called upon Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. For the message of Easter, and particularly the message of Easter Sunday, is that God has raised Jesus to be the judge of all people. Make no doubt about it. For the unforgiven sinner, there is nothing to celebrate this Easter. This past week, there was an earthquake that rocked the Solomon Islands and sent a tsunami out, radiating out into the Pacific Ocean. And it didn't take long before a tsunami warning was issued for the east coast of Australia. You heard about this, I'm sure. Beaches were closed, 
ferry services were suspended. Uh, school kids in some of the coastal schools were sent home. You see, when a tsunami warning is issued, it's not a time for beach volleyball. It's not a time for sunbathing or wading in the shallows. It's not a time for fun and games. When a tsunami warning is issued, it's not issued to evoke feelings of happiness and ease. A tsunami warning is issued to evoke the proper feelings of dread for what is coming. Anything else would be mere stupidity. Well, in raising Jesus from the dead, God has sounded the warning sirens. God has declared that in Jesus a tidal wave of judgment is on its way. And yet the crazy thing is that most people today carry on in their lives as though there were nothing to fear at all. For most, this Easter will be a time of chocolate and bunnies and showbags and Ferris wheels. It'll be a time of happiness and ease. Yet the great irony is that the very message of Easter is that we should not be at ease. They should be filled with the dread of the coming judgment. And yet it is also true that the Easter message tells us that for those of us who have called upon Jesus for forgiveness, well, Easter can and it should be a time of great happiness. For these are the ones who have been taken out of the path of the coming tidal wave of judgment. These are the ones who have been taken to high ground. These are the ones whose verdict has been changed from guilty to not guilty. These are the ones who have all of the riches of life with God in heaven forever to look forward to. These are the ones who can enjoy the chocolate and the fairy floss and the hot cross buns, knowing that the only thing they need fear is a pain in the tummy the next morning. Should Easter be a happy time? Well, yes, absolutely, for those of us who have called upon Jesus for forgiveness of sins. And so what about you? What about you? Should you have a happy Easter? I'm not asking you, notice, I'm not asking you, will you have a happy Easter? I'm asking you, should you have a happy Easter? Friends, this morning the warning sirens have been sounded. You've heard that judgment is coming. Please, please, don't spend this Easter happily playing down on the beach, wading in the shallows without a care in the world. Don't be at ease this Easter if in fact you have no reason to be at ease. Rather, call upon Jesus. Call upon him to forgive your sins. Call upon him to take you to high ground, and he will. And then you will have every reason to have the happiest Easter you possibly could. Would you like to do that? Would you like to spend this Easter knowing that you have nothing to fear? Well, then I'm going to give you the opportunity to call upon Jesus right now. In a moment, I'm going to pray a prayer. As I pray that prayer, listen to the words that I say. 
If these are the sorts of words that you want to say to God this morning, then at the end of that prayer, please say, Amen, which simply means, I agree. And by doing so, you'll be making this prayer your prayer. Let's pray now. Dear Jesus, I call upon you now and ask for the forgiveness of my sins. I know that I have broken God's laws. I know that I am guilty. Thank you that on the cross you faced my punishment for me. Please now change my verdict from, not, from guilty to not guilty. Amen.